You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Good morning. Um, my name is Jordan. My husband Matt and I help lead a community group here at Redeemer. Um, and I'm going to read the scripture for us this morning before we get started. Um, we'll be in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 22. And it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Thank you, Jordan. Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Church. If you're a guest, uh, thank you for being here. You can fill out a Connect card or scan one of the QR codes on the hospitality table, this communion table, or strategically scattered throughout the building. We'd love an opportunity to connect with you, to serve you, and to see how we can get you plugged into the life of the body. And if you would like a Bible, you can raise your hand. Someone will bring you one. Uh, And if you're on your phone, we use the ESV. And just as a little Redeemer Church uh, seasonal tidings, uh, our church this morning has grown by two because the Marks had their baby and... I think, yeah, praise God. Um, details are sparse. I don't want to, uh, I don't know anything other than that the babies were born. One is a boy, one is a girl. Uh, that's it. You can direct your questions elsewhere. That's all the information that I have. So, um, yeah, so we're excited about that. We've been praying for Tana and Trenton over the last several months, but very specifically over the last few weeks. And Um, God has been really kind and gracious, and so we're excited about that. All right, back to the task at hand here. We're going to continue this morning in our season and celebration of Advent. Advent means coming. In Scripture, there are two Advents of, of Jesus Christ. The first one at the Incarnation or at His birth, and the second Advent we are awaiting is when Christ will return. So at this time of year, in the season leading up to Christmas, every year without fail, Lord willing, at Redeemer Church, we are going to set aside a time to remember and celebrate the first advent of Jesus while we look forward with eager expectation for the second advent of Jesus. And every year the theme is a little different. This year we're looking at the promises of Christmas. Last week, we looked at the first promise of a rescuer in Genesis 3, and we're going to continue on that path today. 
as we look at yet another promise in the Old Testament of Christ's coming. Every week in this season, we're going to see and experience something different and special about the reason why we celebrate Christmas. Advent is crucial for the church because without the first advent of Jesus, without the first coming of Christ, without the miraculous virgin birth of Jesus, without the incarnation of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus is just the unjust murder of an innocent man. Conversely, without the resurrection of Jesus, completing the payment for the penalty of sin, Christmas really has no significance. Jesus is either everything that he claims to be, or he's nothing at all. And if he is none of what he claims to be, then we have no hope. Because as we discussed last week, we looked at the fall, sin has separated us from God. Sin has broken fellowship between us and God the Father. We need a rescuer. And God promises to send us one. But if you don't understand just how sinful you really and truly are, if you don't understand just how needy you are, then you won't truly recognize how great Christ's coming is and what that means for the world. Without Christ's birth, we have no hope. But praise be to God that Christ was born in accordance with the Scripture, in accordance with the Word of God, the Word that He gave to us at the beginning, that He would not leave us as we were, that He would not leave us in the curse of sin. He would come and He would fix it. Praise be to God that He, Jesus Christ, God's Son, lived a perfect sinless life in complete obedience and in complete submission to God the Father, and He died the death that was ours to die because of our sin. And in grace and in mercy, Jesus died, and Jesus has paid our debt. Jesus died in obedience satisfying the just wrath of God against sin? Jesus paid for that. Jesus paid for that through himself. He is our sacrificial lamb. And Jesus rose. And he has ascended into heaven, and he is reigning and ruling for all eternity. And he will return again someday. That's good news. That is the gospel. We rebelled against a perfect, loving, creator, God, in whom our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned against. When they had a perfect, loving relationship with him, they brought the curse into the world through their sin, and we are born into that. And because of this, because of our sin, we deserve separation from God and his gifts for all eternity. But Jesus came. Jesus came and made a way for us to know him and have a relationship with him through the forgiveness he offers us by his death and resurrection. And so the church waits. 
we await, we look forward to the second advent of Jesus. And while we wait, we remember the fact that God has kept his promises to us. God promised in Genesis 3 to undo the curse of sin that was brought into the world by Adam and Eve. We saw last week that God promised to send a rescuer who will crush the head of the serpent. And today we're going to look at the continued promise of a rescuer and how Jesus fulfills that promise to us. So let's pray and we're going to jump in. Lord Jesus, we need you. Show us our great need for you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the significance of your birth. Lord, as we remember weekly your death and your resurrection. Lord, and while we celebrate your birth, Lord, may we also remember that we await your glorious return to finish fully and completely what you started to again dwell with us as our Emmanuel. Lord Jesus, come quickly as you have promised. Church, if you're willing, I'd ask that you would pray for yourself, that the Lord would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed and conviction where conviction is needed. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your name we pray, Jesus, our Emmanuel. Amen and amen. All right, so we're in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is an Old Testament book, and it's essentially a summary of all the laws and the commandments that God has given the Hebrews, the nation of Israel, after they were uh, exodus I don't think that's a word. After the exodus from slavery in Egypt. Keep your comments to yourself, please. Um, Deuteronomy means second law. This does not mean that there are more laws than what God has given or additional laws, but essentially the book of Deuteronomy serves as a retelling of the law, a retelling of what was given by God through Moses in the last portion of the book of Exodus, in the whole book of Leviticus, and the whole book of Numbers. If you're one of those, I'm going off script here, if you're one of those like read the Bible through in a year. This is a retelling of the stuff you try to skip early on in the year. So um, this is a retelling as the nation of Israel is set to enter the promised land, as they are going into the promised land to possess it. Deuteronomy reminds the nation of Israel of blessings for faithfulness and obedience to God and the curses for their disobedience to God. Deuteronomy reminds the people of the covenant that God made with Adam by reminding the people of God who they were and what God has intended for them. The book ends with the death and burial of Moses and leads us into the book of Joshua with new leadership and the conquest of the promised land and the subsequent failures of the people to follow God fully. And that's the story of humanity. We've been created for a relationship with God. 
who has revealed himself to us through himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ and who has progressively revealed himself to us through his word. And yet, humans have been created in God's image. That's Genesis 1.27. And we have been created to know God and experience God and to worship God. And like any healthy parent-child relationship, we need to know how to submit to God and how to obey Him who is our Father. God is our Creator and He knows exactly what we need in order to fulfill our highest calling, which is to give God glory with our lives. And yet we don't. We have the law. And the law was never meant to be cruel or oppressive, but to show us how we're to know and relate to God our Father. God gave the law to the Hebrews, the nation of Israel, in order to set them apart from the pagan nations that were surrounding them as they were entering into the promised land. God set apart a people unto himself and gave them the law in order to show the world how his people were to function in obedience to him. Yet, if you read the Old Testament, you know that God's people did not always follow God fully in faithful obedience. In fact, from the moment that sin entered the world, we have failed to faithfully follow God in obedience. That is the story of every single person that has ever lived. And yet, God was still pleased to call a people unto himself. Through himself, by promising to send a rescuer. And when the story of history reaches Deuteronomy 18 we see this promise unfold just a little bit more. Let's pick it up in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they're right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all I command him. Moses is speaking to the people from the plains of Moab, just east of the Jordan River, as they are preparing to finally enter the promised land after 40 years of wandering in the desert because of their disobedience. Moses is aware that he is about to die. So the words that he speaks to these people are meant to comfort them as well as to confront them. This rebellious generation has passed away. And Moses is charging the new generation to uh, keep the law of God. And here we see him promising another prophet. This identity of the prophet is specific to all true and future prophets of Israel, meaning that all 
future prophets of Israel would in fact be Israelites and that they would all speak the word of God to the people. But Moses is specifically speaking of one whose role as a prophet would be greater than all the rest. So let's look at this text specifically. First, verse 15 Uh, Yeah, verse 15 says that this man will be an Israelite man. He will be a descendant from Jacob, who God changed his name to Israel. The prophets of old spoke to the people the words that God gave them to speak. So this prophet will be from among them, like them, related to them, a relative of theirs. God speaks to the people through a prophet. So perhaps this leads you to question, why does God need a prophet? Why doesn't God just speak directly to the people? That's a great question. The answer is this, he absolutely could. Plot twist, we'd all die. I thought that was going to get more of a laugh. Anyways, uh, (laughs) We'd all die. If God spoke directly to us, we could not handle it. God is so holy and we are so sinful. And when confronted with the holiness of God, we could not stand. We see in Deuteronomy 5 that Moses reminds the people of when God did, in fact, speak to them directly from a veiled position of smoke and darkness and a cloud, and the people trembled and asked that God not speak to them directly anymore because they were so fearful and so aware of their own sinfulness and so aware of God's holiness. Please, we can't take it. So God raises up Moses to be an intercessor, to be a mediator between God and the people. And here Moses says, hey, there's another one coming. God promises that he himself will raise up another prophet who will speak the words of God to God's people. And the expectation is the same as when it was Moses, the people are to listen to this prophet. Because the true prophet speaks the words of God to the people. Look at what it says in verse 19. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself, this is God saying, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. This is a warning from God. Whoever does not listen to the words of the prophet of God, whoever does not listen to the words of God, God says he will require it of him. Meaning this, there is an obligation on the people of God to listen to God. Christians, listen to me. There is an obligation on you, Christians, as the people of God, Christians, to listen and be obedient to God. If you don't, God says, I will, require it, I will require it of that person who is disobedient. Meaning, there will be consequences. To disobey the prophet in the Old Testament is to disobey God himself. And then, on the other side of the table, the prophet himself is to be obedient to God. 
If he prophesied in the name of any other name other than the God of Israel, he was to be put to death. If he prophesied and it did not come to pass, he was to be put to death. Let this be a caution to us. If we're going to say, thus saith the Lord, saith I, that is a dangerous place to be. That's just a little side note. So we have this general idea of the identity of the prophet and what his role is to be. And then Moses transitions us to how can we know the validity of the true prophet. Verse 21, it says, And if you in your heart say, if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has spoken or has not spoken? Let me start over. Uh, I know how to read. Verse 21. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass, that is, not, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So the role of a genuine prophet is twofold. They're to preach the word of God to the people. They are to challenge the people to be faithful to the Lord. And in accordance with the word of God, they are to utter the predictions of coming events. Goldberg says that the test of the true prophet was through verifying the short range of prophecies that are fulfilled within a few days, a few months, or up to two years. As each of these short period prophecies came true with 100% accuracy, people were to realize that they had a real prophet within their midst. But based on this test, believers could be confident that these prophets could make predictions hundreds or even one to 2,000 years into the future. The word of God, the true word of God comes to pass. So Moses is predicting, Moses is prophesying that there would be another. There would be another like him. And that this next prophet, this other prophet, he would speak the words of the Lord with 100% accuracy and that people were to listen to him. Throughout the history of the Old Testament, what we see is there is a line of prophets in succession, one after another. The ministry of, or the office of the prophet, would continue throughout the Old Testament. When one set of prophets would die, another set of prophets would rise up in succession. And just to name some of the major ones in the Old Testament, we have Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel. They all have books named after them. Go, go check them out. Have a good commentary handy. Uh, there's a lot of hard stuff in there. But each one of these men were prophesying in their time in history around whatever events were going on in the nation of Israel at the time. And they were prophesying the words that the Lord had spoke to them. Each fulfilling their role as a prophet to function as a mediator between God and his people. And yet, none of these prophets are sufficient in and of themselves to fulfill the role 
that we really need them to fulfill for us. None of them are sufficient to save us from our sins. Each of them, like Moses, points us forward to something better. Each of them, like Moses, points us forward to a better prophet who fulfills all of the promises of the Old Testament for God to rescue and redeem us. Moses and the other prophets were only sufficient to remind us that the Messiah, God's anointed, God's chosen one, the Savior is coming. Again, the role of the prophet is to act as a mediator between God in heaven and his people. Moses points forward to Christ. Moses promises another. But this prophet, the one that is coming, would be preeminent, always existent, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus. In theology, we have this word. It's called typology. Typology, I paused for the A, but Devante is sick this morning. Uh, typology, to translate, is a literary, hermeneutical, or biblical interpretation device in which a person, event, or an institution in the Old Testament is understood to correspond with a person, event, or institution in the New Testament. So just to clarify, there are things in the Old Testament that occur that point forward to events or people in the New Testament. The Old Testament events uh, that are typological shadows exist to point us forward to things to come in the New Testament. So we study the Bible not as a collection of writings and disjointed stories, but as one big story of a God who rescues and redeems a people unto himself. The Bible is a story about Jesus, God incarnate, God in flesh, who comes to earth in accordance with the eternal decree given at the beginning of time that God would rescue a people and he will be their God and they will be his people. Moses, like Jesus, was born as a baby in a time where an evil king ruled and had to be hidden in order to preserve his life. Moses was sent into Egypt to save his life as a baby. Jesus was taken to Egypt to save his life as a baby. Both would leave Egypt as well. Moses was often rejected by the very people he rescued from slavery. Jesus is despised and rejected from the very people he came to rescue and redeem from their slavery to sin. Moses interceded for the people in the desert. Jesus intercedes for the sins of the whole world through himself. Jesus is the better and greater Moses. Another prophet like Moses, though much better and greater, is here. Jesus is the true prophet who predicted his own death and resurrection. Jesus Christ is the word of God who became flesh, God incarnate, 
This means he is from among Israel's brothers like Moses and the other prophets. Yet he is also from God in a way that no one else ever was or ever will be. Jesus Christ is God himself who has come to dwell among us. Through Moses, God gave Israel the law to show them how to live and how to worship in anticipation of the coming Christ. God gave the law so we could know him and to show us his holiness. But the law could never give us salvation because we can't keep it. And even if we could keep it, our hearts are so wicked that we are unwilling to keep it. And because of this, the law cannot provide eternal life for us. We can't be saved by following the rules. We can't be saved by being good enough because we can never be good enough. You will never be good enough on your own. Instead, the law shows us our need for atonement, our need for redemption, because in our sin, we could not keep the law perfectly. We are dead in our trespasses. Other prophets pointed to the coming of one who would be able to save God's people and redeem them from their sin, but none of them were that. None of those prophets could do that. None of them were the good news in and of themselves. They all just pointed forward to Christ. We need more than prophetic words to bring us back to the Lord. We need a mediator. We need an eternal mediator. And in Jesus, we have one. Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection and ascension intercedes for us. Jesus' blood speaks our pardon before a holy and just God. What the law has done is shown us our need for a Savior. And what the cross and resurrection of Jesus has done is shown us that we have one. Jesus is the promised Savior of the world. The word that Jesus spoke was salvation in and through himself. Jesus came at his birth, and the rescue mission continued. And Jesus would give Satan the fatal blow as our great snake crusher died and yet was resurrected. He defeated sin and death on behalf of believers once and for all. We can listen to this prophet because his words are true, and this word is salvation for all who would believe. Jesus' grace is sufficient. It's sufficient for us to save us from our greatest enemy of sin and death. Meaning we don't need anything else, anything other. We don't need anything other than Jesus' perfect life and death for our sins to be forgiven and made right with God. And Jesus is inviting you to believe that. Jesus is inviting us to believe in his word to us and his finished work on the cross to restore us to God our creator who has loved us enough to send himself and die in our place. Jesus, our great prophet, has come into earth just like he said he would. 
Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Jesus, our great prophet, has promised that he is with us. And through his indwelling Holy Spirit, we have a great intercessor who pleads our innocence before God himself. Think about that for a second. Think about that for a second. Especially if you are constantly struggling with guilt and shame and condemnation and fear. If you're struggling with that through the lies of the enemy or through the narrative that you tell yourself. You have been made innocent. You have been made innocent. You have been made righteous. When Christ saves you by grace through faith, you are not just saved, but you are clothed in Christ's righteousness. Christ gives you his righteousness as he takes your guilt upon himself. And now when God looks at you, Christian, he does not see your sin. He does not see your shame. He sees Christ's righteousness covering you. You have been made innocent. You have been declared not guilty. We have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. The same promise that was given in Deuteronomy is ours today. There's blessings in faith. There are blessings in faith. There are blessings in obedience to Jesus. We can know him. We can experience him. We can have a relationship with him. We know him through his word that we have been given. We know him through prayer. We know him by being a part of the bride of Christ, the church. And all of these things we're called to as believers. There is life in relationship with Christ. There are blessings in faith and obedience to Christ. And the same consequence is true for unbelief. For those whose faith is not in Christ, there is separation for all eternity. Maybe you'd look at your life. Let's just take an honest assessment. Maybe you'd look at your life and you'd say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But is there anything in your life to suggest that this is true of you? Is your life marked by faithful obedience to Jesus? Is your life marked by dependency on the Holy Spirit? Are you characterized by being a person of the word and of prayer? Are you characterized by being a person of love and joy and peace? Are you committed to the church? Are you characterized by repentance? Do you really understand the depths of your sin? 
Megan Prado shared this Tim Keller quote with me that I thought was great. Tim Keller says, Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. That means you are not somebody who can pull yourself together and live a moral and good life. And that's actually really good news. Because Jesus came. Jesus came in love, born in humility, to die in humility, in love for God, and in love for creation. And he came to save sinners in order to glorify God. Because we can't do it on our own. We need the faith given to us by him in order to be saved. And he is offering this to you through himself and through faith and through repentance. Because of Christmas, Christian, you have hope. Because of Christmas, Christian, there is peace available to you. Because of Christmas, we can have joy that's only found in Christ. And Jesus is worthy of your love and your devotion. Jesus was born to save you. Not for you to offer some like holiday or religious sentiment during this time and move on with whatever else is going on in your life. Jesus means everything to you or Jesus means nothing to you. We set aside this time of year to remember just that. That our Messiah... Our Savior has come. So let's worship him for this great gift of life. This Jesus stepped out of perfection and endured the cross on our behalf. Don't miss your Messiah who has come into earth to give you life and life abundantly in and through himself. Let's pray.